baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. So what do we learn today on this Tuesday? I learned a ton. And we started with a guy named Tony Hooper, who is a CEO of a group that not only do they run restaurants, but they help other restaurants be more effective in what they do. Tony really was bringing it in terms of financial decision-making within restaurants. Take a listen to Tony Hooper, our first guest on this Tuesday. 23 minutes until 3 o'clock here in Pittsburgh. We are delighted to be joined by Troy Hooper, who is a CEO involved in many different asset, facets excuse me, of the restaurant business, including asset management, including franchising, also helping others to grow their businesses. And, oh, by the way, they operate restaurants as well. Troy, it is great to have you on the program today. Welcome to KDKA. Hey, thanks for having me, Rick. Glad to be here. Restaurants have been faced with so many challenges as of late, and we're going to talk to Carrie Luxem coming up at the top of the hour about the the HR issues of staffing and things like that. But I want to bring you in because you deal with helping restaurants run their businesses more efficiently, helping them to make some decisions, what their assets are and things like that. With rising costs for food, and we, everybody knows what's going on with eggs, right? I mean, how do you make a decision about... Well, well, we're just going to have to cut back on something else because we can't raise our prices on our menu because we have to then print more menus. And if we do that, it's going to cost us more money than what we're going to. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, how do you how do you prioritize? How do you help people make those hard decisions? Well, the first thing we do is we re- we require them to re- remain uh, calm and don't don't react to uh, micro uh, hyperinflationary uh, pressures in the market, right? So we see this um, very cyclically, but we all and we're used to it from that perspective. But these ultra high moments of eggs being two to three times, you know, we had um, you know the big run on chicken in 2020 and 2021 in the pandemic. Everybody ate chicken wings, and the price, you know, we ran out of chicken wings literally, and the price went skyrocketing there because of demand. So there's always different reasons for the pressures and changes. We ask them to always remain calm. The strategy is to have a strategy, is to have a plan, have a, a pricing structure and a menu engineering strategy that makes sense for your business and stick to it, right? The idea is, um, is, is not to react to every change in the market because your consumer um, will kind of get whiplash, whether you're changing prices or changing items on your menu, or changing the quality of the items, possibly even changing the, the portion sizing. These are all tactics that we've seen in the past that usually have a more negative effect in your relationship with the customer than they do have a positive effect to your bottom line. So you're right. Most restaurants are just taking it in the gut. They're taking the punch and, and hopefully getting smarter about their buying, uh, paying more attention to what they're buying, what they're paying for, how much they're buying at a time, who they're buying it from, but also really thinking about their menu, how you know, is their menu as efficient as it can be? Does it does it have what the consumer really wants, and are they really uh, are they really taking? Uh, can they take some things off that the consumer is not as excited about to make it a more efficient operation? So that's kind of how we start thinking about it, and, and, and the basis for the conversation to help operators 
you know, uh, stay uh, in their lane and, and not get derailed by these uh, these really rare and really uh, intense moments of of unique price structure changes that that are happening to them. When you say menu efficiency, is that simply a matter of paying attention to how many times does somebody order this particular meal as opposed to that one? If we want to have five different chicken chicken dishes on the menu, do we have to have seven? I mean, is that is do I understand that right? Yeah, so basically exactly. We 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 find in, you know, most independent and small chain operators uh, and even, even, you know, let's not talk about Cheesecake Factory, 290 items on the menu. The reality is, is most menus are, uh, have too many items on them. So what does that mean? We have too many ingredients in the storage, you know, in our refrigeration and mm-hmm. in, in our dry storage. We're, we're prepping. We're spending a lot of time prepping ingredients that, that we might sell two or three or, or 12 of in a day as compared to our top five items where we might sell 30, 50, 100 of those items in a day. And so the question is, is if you were to take that item, those, those low performing items off, what efficiencies are you adding to your business? Reduced labor and preparation, reduced cooking labor, reduced waste in product that you create that nobody buys, uh, you know, uh, confusion uh, and dilution of your customer's choices. So very often more choices is, is, a, is, is a problem compared to less choices. And that's why we see some of these emerging concepts like these Nashville hot chicken style concepts that have, you know, anywhere from three to nine menu items total uh, from Dave's hot chicken or Houston's hot chicken or Hattie B's, these kinds of concepts, you know, that's sort of uh, an extreme example of what I'm talking about, about being hyper efficient with your menu. That's very niche. Uh, but for the average operator, it's really about thinking about, what am I buying? What am I making? Who's buying it? When are they buying? Are they buying enough of it to have me keep making more of it? Or should I, should I pare this down? Should I get a little bit more efficient uh, in my overall operation and what I'm offering? So, Troy, you're talking about making decisions that, and not panicking, right? I mean, and making sure that you assess the situation before you make a change. How long should that be? Should that be a quarter? Should that be a year? I mean, the reality is for, for new businesses, that first year or two is so hard just to get through it. You, you don't want to wait too long or you're out of business, right? I mean, how long is the right amount of time? Yeah, you know, this is something we talk to our operators about. You know, you're, you're really focused on this on a monthly basis as a newer, smaller operator who has a lot of other things to deal with. You know, the big guys are looking at some of this stuff by the hour, by the day, you know, et cetera. We try to get operators to go um, from an occasional uh, review, annual review, semi-annual review with their accountant. We try to get them down to a monthly sort of what we call a status or a flash report on a monthly basis. Ultimately, we want to get them down to looking at these things on a weekly basis. Hmm. You really, really have to understand that every time you place an order with your purveyors that provide you your products, they're changing their prices daily right it's not oh yeah right yeah yeah so so we got to get you as the operator paying attention to your prices um coming in and you know costs coming in and your prices going out a little more often so so we start them off going from never to occasional to down to at least monthly ultimately we really want most of our restaurant uh partners really focused on a weekly analysis and by the way technology has really advanced in the last three to four years especially during the pandemic, we saw tremendous investments and advancements. And so now some much, much of this stuff is, um, is automated for you. You can set up these reports, set up these systems. They're all interconnected now. And so what we're spending a lot of time doing is getting operators modernized, getting these systems in place, 
so that it is less, uh, you know, manual of a process, less subjective of a process, but far more automated and provided, the information is provided to them, and all they have to do is make a decision on the analytics given to them. So, so there's a big shift in the restaurant industry right now to modernize and update and adopt technologies that will make them more efficient, a lot smarter, and, and, uh, and more nimble to, to do this a lot more often than they ever have. We think about the golden rule that the person who has the gold makes the rules, right? So who then is in charge? Is it the restaurant operator because they've got the cash and they want to buy the product? Or is it the supplier saying, this is what we're going to charge? And and if you're the operator, how do you push back against price increases? It seemed to every time you turn around, there's another one coming down. You hit the nail right on the head. Uh, we have always essentially, uh, if you have less than 20 or so, 15 or 20 locations, you have been completely beholden uh, to the supplier. The supplier is the God that controls all things in your life, and you've had to uh, suck it up or react to it uh, in some way, shape, or form for history. Yeah. What we're seeing now, obviously, as suppliers took a big hit in the pandemic, uh, as, as they uh, you know, did things that may have really harmed their clients, the small, small clients particularly, uh, there, there's a lot more leverage on the buying power of the operator. So we're seeing a lot more aggressive conversation. A lot smaller organizations are able to negotiate. And and uh, and we saw a lot of new suppliers pop up, uh, small boutique suppliers pop up to sort of fill in the gaps where the big suppliers kind of, uh, you know, screwed us over in a way in, in some cases. So, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of movement towards group purchasing organizations and cooperatives mm. where, where groups are getting together and, and uh, consolidating their buying power yep. and leveraging that in negotiations. So, so it still is the supplier, but we're still really beholden to the supplier. But the suppliers now understand that, um, that we're a lot smarter. We know our numbers a lot better than we ever have. We are paying attention in places where we may not have, as we should have, and, uh, and now we're, we're coming back and pushing back. And so we are seeing a lot more, uh, you know, negotiating power being leveraged in that relationship. Dan, this has been really, really wonderful. I, it's obvious that you could talk about this for months, and uh, we're just trying to, to drink out of a fire hose right now from your, your, your knowledge that is out there. So thank you so much for getting the conversation started for us today on KDK. It's great to have you on the program, and I'd love to have you back. Thanks, Rick. Love to do it anytime. Thanks All right, for good stuff. Up the topic and sharing it. Excellent. Troy Hooper joining us, CEO. And again, the group is called uh, Kiwi Restaurant Partners. Yes, they're dealing with franchisees. They're helping restaurants. They also own and operate restaurants. Gives you an idea of some of the issues, some of the things that they are faced with right now. Carrie Luxem followed him up. She is a CEO, and what she does in Chicago is run a group called the Restaurant HR Group. Yes, they're talking about employees and how to keep them, but more than that, how do you help an employee to understand that there's more to it than what their hourly wage is on their W-2? How do you keep employees in this very, very hard time where everybody is looking for people to hire. Carrie Luxem on KDKA. One of my favorite guests coming up right now, Carrie Luxum. She is based in the Windy City, where she is the CEO of the Restaurant HR Group. And we've had Carrie on the program a number of times. And when I say that she's one of my favorite guests, it's not just because she can hear me right now on the phone. Carrie, <laughs> I would say that even if you could not hear me and there was no way to vouch that that's what I said. I promise. Right. Oh, okay. I believe you. I believe you. How are you? I am great. How are you? 
I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, we were just talking uh, with Troy Hooper, who you know, and we're talking about, you know, the, the challenges that restaurants are dealing with in terms of making decisions about what's on their menu and what do we do with food costs and do we raise our mm-hmm. prices? Do we keep them where they are? You know, do we panic now? Do we wait and panic later? Right. I mean, just dealing with those kind of things. But for you, you're dealing with the HR side of things in terms of not only hiring, but keeping people in the restaurants and i don't mean people in the seats who are coming in to eat but the staff and keeping them motivated and keeping them going through these very difficult times we've had you on in the past to talk about what was going on in the restaurant business but where are we right now in january of 23 as you look at it through a national uh lens right now where are we well, I mean, I think there's still the stresses out there and, you know, inflation and this economic flux is, is, has people up in arms for sure. But I will tell you that the clients that I have, the industry in general, nationwide, the restaurant leaders that stay laser focused on their people. I mean, there's no doubt that the last few years have changed a lot and, and kind of where we are right now. But if you if you stay focused on the right things, that's your, your your purpose, and really just staying focused on taking care of your people, you're going to come uh, out ahead when it comes to staffing. But it's still messy, uh, Rick. It's still you know it's still hard to find staff. But um, you know when you're purposeful and you're proactive and taking care of your people, and you you know you really focus on ensuring that your People have balance. I mean, that's where we are right now. People don't just come to work. You know, people want to make more money. There's no doubt about that. But when when people make a decision on where they're going to work, it's really about working for good people. You know, and I've been saying for years and years, great leadership is really about making emotional connections and being a good human being. And that's really just coming to light. People want to work somewhere where they feel like they're going to be taken care of, that they're cared about. Money is one thing. Benefits are another. But just really that someone's going to come to work and care about their life, care about their balance, care about their happiness. And the employers that can give people that are going to have less stress when it comes to staffing. I hear what you're saying, and I completely agree with it, that there's more to it than money. But do the people on the street agree with that? Meaning, I uh, think they do. Do you think yes. so? Okay. Okay. Well, why so? I mean, I just think like, think about, you know, I always like to, I'm a CEO now and I have a small team and I put, I talk a lot about building a company and culture and what it takes. And it's a lot of work and it's a challenge for me, you know, and, and I think when you really look at what's going on in the world and, and think about yourself and your kids and your grandkids or your whatever, you know, if you really think about what matters to most people, it's about being in a place that's not super stressful. It's about being happier. And what does that really mean? It's about the leaders of the company exercising common courtesy and, you know, recognizing those small life events that happen every day, calling just to say hi, you know, being a place that, that um, cares about your learning and growing and all that. And I know it matters because the, the clients that do this well in my world are the ones that have less stress when it comes to being understaffed, when you really put the energy into it. And it's not to say it's not hard and it's, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely something that people have to focus on, but when you don't do it, you know, 
you are you are losing and you are the ones that are not able to operate your restaurants because you don't have people. It's just it's just the way that it is. So it's definitely something that matters. Are restaurant operators able to find staff now or have those people moved on to other types of jobs? Are they doing something else? They loved waiting table. They loved working at a restaurant. They loved being a line cook. But you know what? There just mm-hmm. wasn't enough there, whether it was internal you know, rewards or whether it was the money rewards. Have they moved on? Are they doing something else? Yeah, I mean, I think at some level throughout this pandemic, there was a shift and people went to work other places because there was, you know, more flexibility or whatever it is. I will tell you, I feel like people are still really excited about this industry. It really just depends on the employer, the restaurateur. Uh, What's their purpose? Are they good people? Are they focusing on the right things? Do they have simple systems and are they hiring and encouraging people to be great leaders. So I would say, well, it has been a shift. There has been uh, some some turning in, you know, not going to work in restaurants. I feel like that's lessening, you know, as we evolve and get into 2023. I feel like we're we're coming back. And you know me well enough to know I'm very passionate about this industry. Mm-hmm. I love, I think this has, uh, this is an industry that has so much to offer so many people. Um, but, you know, it, it comes down to leadership. And if you don't have restaurants, you know, it's like I always say, like, you can say all day long, you know, I want to have a company that people feel great and are ha- healthy and he- happy and balanced, but they're working, if people are working 80 hours a week, it's like your actions aren't really, you know, matching your words. And that's how, you know, you get a reputation for not wanting to be, you know, a place that people want to come and so, work. So but, help me with this, Carrie. Help me with this. If yeah. you're an mm-hmm. operator, right, and you're advertising yeah. for people, immediately yeah. people put on a sign, $15 an hour. That is, as you're saying, not the most important thing. How do mm-hmm. you advertise that this is a place that values people, that wants you to have work-life balance, that fill in the blank, the other things that people yeah. may want? How do they do that? Because everybody wants to know the first question is, what are you paying? How do you yeah. get past that? Yeah, you do, you're right. I mean, pay does matter. It, it does matter, but it is not everything because you can say, I'm going to pay you 19 and the guy over there is paying you 17. You might get to hire that person, but if you're, if you're, if you're a bad employer, you're, you're overworking you're your You're not people, keeping them. They're not going to stay. You're not them properly. Yep. So how do you advertise for that? Well, first of all, you, you tell your story. And if you're really a good company and by telling your story, it's what's your story? Who are you? What's your mission? What's your purpose? Why do you do what you do? What other people are they working with? You know, a lot of people do like showing what it feels like to work in their restaurants or whatever it may be. You know, it's, it's literally showing that you care about more than just that person as an employee. Mm -hmm. You care about that person as a person. And that means a whole lot of things. It could be anything from celebrating someone, you know, showing on social media that you're celebrating that somebody just graduated from college you know it's like mm. you're not directly you know always take your recruiting hat off and be show people who you are from the inside and so long as it's true if you're really a good place and you really are not working your people 80 hours a week and you really do stop and say hi how are you and and care about the answer that kind of stuff goes such a long way and if you if you really are genuinely a good person that's leading a company you can impact the lives of so many people but they have to know you care how do they know you care consistently being a good person consistently telling the truth, consistently being vulnerable. It's like those are the ways that you're going to attract people. And it's just like getting, you know, people, 
operators put so much effort into the employee, or I'm sorry, into the customer experience, right? We're losing customers. Inflation is high. We, mm-hmm. So what are they doing? They're out there putting all this effort into customers, 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 how they're going to feel when they get into and the restaurant. And they forget how about the people in the kitchen and on the floor, same right? Put effort yeah. into the yep. employee experience yep. and you are going to win. Yep. So I'm not saying don't put effort into the customer experience. Of course that matters. But watch what happens when you take care of the people that are taking care of that customer. When you really put the... Yeah, when you put the effort into the employee experience, what do I want my employee to feel when they walk in? You know, what do I want my customer to feel? I'm sure most operators can answer that, and they could probably talk about that for days. Let's focus on the employee experience. Let's focus on letting them come to work and feel that same level of passion for, you know, the purpose that you have, your mission, your vision, and all that. And I think sometimes it's missed, and I'm telling you again, the 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 clients that I have or the connections that I have in this industry that do that very well, they're winning. They're more profitable. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's not hard right now with inflation and all that. It's still hard. But, but you can win. It does, it does happen. And you can get there. Gotta it's doubt. too bad you're not passionate about what you do. If you just had a little <laughs> more excitement, Carrie. I'm sorry. No, I'm this sorry. Is, this is great. No, no, no. This awesome. is absolutely great. And thank you for, for opening up some doors for us to talk about here today in terms of how do we lead with passion yeah. and how do we do that. And not just in the restaurants, but all other places as well. Carrie, it's great Absolutely. to have you here. Thanks for jumping in. Thank you. Yep. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Carrie Luxem joining us. Uh, and again, her company where she's the CEO is Restaurant HR Group. She deals with all those issues and helps people navigate them too. Also on the program, Monica Eaton. She is the founder of Chargeback 911. What is a chargeback? Well, that's what happens if you call your bank and you say that something went wrong with a transaction that you used your credit card for. That vendor ultimately gets hit with a chargeback. And it's more than them simply having to pay back the money. They also basically get a smudge or a black mark on their reputation. That is a huge issue in the credit card industry. And Monica says that plus fraud are some of the biggest issues that are facing vendors right now when it relates to taking credit cards. 337 on KDKA. You know, one of the things that... um, I've been thinking about since Carrie Luxem was on about the the truths that she was talking about as it relates to dealing with other people. Yes, she was talking about you own a restaurant and what do you do for your employees in that restaurant setting? The people who are taking orders, the people who are up front, the, the house staff, if you will. Um, exactly what do we do in that regard? And she was talking about leadership. And she was talking about how we take care of our people and how we treat our people. That's not just a restaurant thing. That is not just a restaurant thing at all. That is something that we can use anywhere. And I think it's safe to say that what we're about to talk about next here on the program is something else that a lot of people are seeing everywhere, and that is the use of credit cards, and more than that, the increase that is happening when it comes to credit card fraud. In the first half of 2022, there was a 700% increase in credit card fraud. 
skimmers, those illegal devices put on maybe a gas pump or an ATM, point-of-sale terminals that basically are stealing not only your credit card data, but also your PIN. It is a significant, significant issue. And joining us right now to talk about how that has continued to be an issue is one by the name of Monica Eaton. She is the founder of a company that is called Chargeback 911. And Monica, it is great to have you joining us here on KDKA. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. What's the biggest issue right now when it comes to credit card fraud? Is it these skimmers? Is it people buying something, returning it, trying to get their money back and and not pay? I mean, canceling orders. I mean, what's the biggest issue right now? Man, it is. We have the perfect storm. (laughs) It's literally it's a combination. Uh, I think it's uh, it's it's definitely you know, there's more criminal activity and and probably because, of course, the entire ecosystem has changed since COVID. You know, every people's behaviors have changed. There's new merchants that are entering, you know, spheres that they've never done any business in. And as a result, all of these different loopholes are being exploited by fraudsters. Plus, you have a lot of consumers that are exploiting the system as well. Um, So I think, you know, we have new everywhere. Mm -hmm. And whenever you have new, then it increases new opportunities, new technology, but also a lot of new challenges for fraud. Monica, when we think about, you were talking about new businesses, and one of the things that a lot of those small businesses are doing is using, um, they take a credit card, but they do it through maybe Square, or they do it through PayPal, or they do it through a third-party vendor rather than the traditional way of doing things, because in some cases it may cost them less. They don't have to pay as as high a percentage or as high a per-charge transaction and things like that. Is that part of the issue? I don't see where that's creating fraud, but it's different, right? I mean, it's new, and, and I think that maybe that that is 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 part of what we're we're dealing with right now. It's not always the way that it's been before. Yeah, I mean, I think I I don't think that the problem is isolated to a single processor or you know whether it's Square or whether it's Stripe, etc. It's more related to you know people are multitasking mm-hmm. and it's it, and, and you know whenever you lose focus then and you are doing things in multiple arenas. Uh, you're going to have, you know, more opportunity for risk. So it used to be that a merchant would get one merchant account and that's it. It used to be that a merchant would have a website and they would only sell in the U.S. and that's it. Today, you have five different merchant accounts. You sell in 20 different countries. Mm -hmm. You process in multiple currencies and you have three different fraud filters. (laughs) And you also have two different CRMs, lots of gateways. And so it's managing the complexities, and not only that, but you sell online, you sell through an app, you sell through the phone, and you also have a store present environment. So I think that's the challenge is each of these, you know, environments really requires a different set of rules. It's different customer engagement, it's different behaviors, and there's different opportunities to exploit loopholes in each one. And it's very difficult for for a retailer to master all at the same time, but it's impossible for a retailer to maintain a competitive edge unless they enter into all these arenas. It's it's that omni-channel uh, challenge, I think. 
Uh, Monica Eaton joining us here on KDK. Monica, you've used the term chargebacks a couple of times. Define that for us so we're all on the same page in terms of what you mean and make sure that we understand that. Sure. So a chargeback is simply when a consumer purchases something, generally an online purchase, and instead of going to the retailer to get a refund, then they go to their bank. Most of the time, they're innocently filed, and they end up creating a fine and a fee for the retailer. The retailer is debited for the transaction, and it, you can look at it as this kind of a traffic ticket. So it's this, this irreversible negative statistic, and if the retailer receives too many chargebacks, then they get put on a blacklist and they can lose mm. their merchant processing account. Um, so they can defend the chargeback, but you can never reverse the negative statistic. So you can maybe talk your way out of a ticket, for instance, by going to court, but it doesn't mean that you still don't pay the court costs, right? I mean, there, there's still yes. a something to pay. Yes, and, and that negative statistic never erases. Yes, it's so, always there. Um, so that's yeah, on the so, that's on the merchant then, right? I mean, it, it's it's not on the yeah. consumer. They don't take a black mark onto onto their record. It's just on the merchant. I mean, is is that the biggest issue that is going on right now? You have to take credit cards. If you don't, how do you do online transactions? How do you do you know apps? How do you do those sorts of things? And yet at the same time, it's a pain. And then you know what to deal with credit cards sometimes. I mean, I see where merchants are coming from. Oh, sure. No, that. That statistic, that is a, that is a tremendous issue. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it continues to grow because, I mean, let's face it, we have this, we have this, this issue. I'm sure you've heard of the word frictionless. You know, mm-hmm. today's consumer, which is driving trends, we want things instant. We want it fast. We already know that it's secure. We already know that we're protected by our bank. We want instant gratification. And so... You know, this has really created a new standard and a way of doing business across the board. With COVID, there were so many issues that really we, we lowered all the barriers for consumers. So today, all you need to do to dispute a transaction and get an immediate refund from your bank is go to the app on your phone and press a few buttons. And unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of misunderstandings with regard to what actually happens when you do that. Yeah. That creates a penalty for the merchant that you bought from. And even though most of these consumers are honest, it's innocent, they think, hey, this is just more convenient, it's faster, it's instant, why do I need to contact that retailer to, con- to cancel my subscription? I can just have my bank do it. Behind the scenes, it's a very bad habit that is getting out of control. So then should you call the merchant first of all and give them an opportunity to make it right? Is that what you're suggesting? Absolutely, absolutely, and and any merchant will is interested in avoiding chargeback. Yes, they want to right, avoid it. Right. They, they, they believe it or not, every merchant cares about customers. We all need customers. So yes, consumers should always, you know, advocate and and contact that merchant first. Filing a chargeback is not the same as contacting a merchant and getting a refund. Is it okay to even say to that customer service representative, listen, the last thing I want to do is create a problem with you through a chargeback. Can we make this right? I mean, I'm not saying you're negotiating with them, but if you just let them know that you understand that, are they more likely to hear you and help you? For sure. Absolutely. I I don't think, um, you know, many, many consumers, they'll escalate to a manager, they'll escalate to whatever. 
if, if a merchant understands, look, you know, I, I don't want to call my bank. Yeah. These are, this is my issue. At, at the end of the day, I think every merchant is in business to sell their products and make customers happy. They're just as concerned about a bad reputation online as they are about chargebacks. Probably more concerned about chargebacks, to be frank. Yeah, because that um, hits them in the bottom line. Want, yeah, they don't want a bad reputation. They want to be able to salvage you know, a good reputation and, and take care of these customers. Monica, this is great. Thank you very, very much. And again, you know, sometimes defining things that you use all the time and that we hear, it doesn't mean that we understand exactly what they are. So thank you for stepping us through these things as it relates to credit card and fraud and chargebacks. I really, really appreciate you jumping on with us today on KDKA. Absolutely. Have me anytime. Uh, Great talking with you. Very much appreciate it. Monica Eaton, founder of Chargeback 911, talking about these big issues as it relates to merchants and dealing with credit cards and credit card companies and processing. Those are just some of the things we learned on KDKA. If you missed a program on a given day, you miss a lot. So make sure you're with us on Wednesday as we go through 2 until 6 on KDKA each and every day, hopefully getting smarter together. See you on the radio starting at 2 on Wednesday. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.